Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We are coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on the Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Marlene Even. The Bureau of Meteorology recently made headlines after their failed rebranding fiasco. They hope to be called by their full name, or the Bureau for short, instead of the well-known nickname of BOM. The spotlight then opened up a whole other can of worms. Allegations that the organisation has been cautious when providing public commentary on climate change, an allegation the Bureau rejects. In other news, the CSIRO was criticised for a fracking information sheet sent to Indigenous communities that stated methane may play a role in climate change. The sheets were produced by CSIRO's Gas Industry Social and Environmental Research Alliance, which is partially funded by the gas industry. The CSIRO told ABC that this wording was an error, not picked up by review, and that they ensure independence and integrity of all its work. So this opens up a conversation. How do journalists report on the climate crisis when dealing with cautious sources? And should we demand that our public institutions be more brave and independent from the government of the day? So to discuss this and more, we are joined by Graham Redfern, environment reporter for The Guardian Australia. Welcome to Fourth Estate. Hi, thanks. How are you doing? And we're also joined by Alex Crow, environment reporter at The Canberra Times. Welcome. Hi, Marlene. Thank you. So you're both environment reporters. Have you noticed a change in people being more or less cautious to discuss climate change recently? Uh, Graham, I'll go to you first. If we're, if we're talking about, are we talking about public officials, then obviously the story with the Bureau of Meteorology, um, uh, I've been, uh, I've been working on that for a, a, a week or so. Um, I mean, I, I've definitely noticed the change, uh, over, over the years. I think I probably first started talking to the Bureau, um, on climate stories, maybe around 2006, 2007. Um, and in those good old days, um, like I, I could, I could call a scientist directly, uh, ask them for an interview, do an interview, write that up. What seems to have happened is that is kind of in stages, uh, it became, yeah, you don't really do that anymore. Can you please go to the media team? Um, you would do that, but they would still get an interview, um, and and then it was uh can you write down the questions um and sometimes they would put a scientist up for you um but not always and then probably the last couple of years my experience has been that requests to the bureau if the bureau thought that there was going to be a climate angle in there somewhere um uh more often than not um almost always actually I was refused an interview um, and was just given written answers. Sometimes they arrived to the deadline, sometimes they didn't. Um, uh, but that's, I should say though, that if you're doing, a, if, and I do do some weather stories sometimes, um, it's very different. If I'm asking to interview a forecaster for current conditions or what's going to happen tomorrow, then um, 
the I, I found the bureaus quite quite responsive. But if they, I think if if there's an idea that there's going to be a climate angle in there, uh, definitely my sort of practical experience has been that it, it's it shuts down pretty quick. And Alex, have you noticed a change when approaching people to discuss climate change? Has there been a more or less cautiousness recently? A uh, similar experience to Graham in terms of the Bureau. They uh, tend to put sort of colourful words around it, um, you know, or, or avoid the conversation when if, I, if I'm asking a scientist, a scientist or a meteorologist uh, to comment on such a thing. Uh, but in terms of weather stuff now recently, we were at the Canberra Times were once able to call up uh, call the line here and I was on first name basis with one of the meteorologists here in uh, in the ACT because they were often reporting on the weather and it used to be she'd pick up the call pick up the phone and would say what's coming what this next weather system would mean and then a few weeks ago or a few months ago sorry that that stopped happening we that on the other end of the phone was uh, we've been told not to talk to you, uh, put it in an email and we'll get a response from you, even, even things like the weather. And that obviously you can't wait a few hours for a response about the weather. Um, it's changing too quickly. And sometimes it would be, I'd be asking for uh, someone to talk me through reports that were coming through and analysis and they'd say, they'd point me to links on the website and say, the information's here. And, you know, you're after an expert opinion and expert advice, but instead it was, we can get you an approved response, put it in an email, we'll get you a statement, which it, it just meant that we could no longer rely on them as a source of information because it, it was too delayed in when we get any information back. I think probably if you were to look at some of our weather stories, I don't know about you, Alex, but um, uh, you, you'll see that, that they always used to our weather stories always used to have a bureau forecaster quoted um but i'll bet you if you look at the 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 media exposure of someone like ben domencino from weather zone you would have started to see um other forecasters from other other organizations outside the bureau start to appear in stories and there's a reason for that it's because we we couldn't always get a response from the bureau in a timely way yeah, the same things happened here with our local radio station, who the the ABC. They were they'd always have somebody on in the morning to talk about what was happening for the day from the, from the bomb, and that has has stopped happening, and it's been replaced with someone from from Weather Zone or one of the other um, organisations. And I, I assume it's the same reason. It was just not getting it quickly and not getting the responsiveness that they they required. We do we do know from from some of the reporting that that's that that I've done and other people have done in the last week that um, the, there's been an exodus from the communication space in the Bureau. Um, uh, I've heard figures of more than 20, more than 30 staff leaving for all sorts of reasons or moving to different areas within the Bureau. Um, I, I, I can only speculate, but I think that you lose a bit of sort of institutional memory when that happens. Um, uh, uh, I, I don't know of the experience of the staff that come in. Um, I'm sure they're all really great and competent. But when you've got um, uh, staff changes going at, at a level like that, it, it, it can't help to to deliver to journalists the kind of timely response that you need. It, it, it must it must have had an impact. And you've both spoken about this changing relationship between the media and the bureau. 
how, what are the trickle-down effects then and how you can provide quality journalism and, and, and a service to the public by this, as you described in your report, Graham, this accusations of um, the Bureau cowering in the corner of the climate crisis um, from former and current staff. How does that have a trickle-down effect in your ability to provide quality journalism? I mean, I, I can give a, a specific example Um uh, this was earlier this year. Uh, there was a really interesting study in a in a journal called the Journal of Climate. Um, uh, I think there were about five authors of that study. Um, four of them were from the bureau. Um, it was really it was a really interesting study. I came across it. I thought this is great. It was about how the bureau had developed this way to attribute the the human um, impact on. Uh, weather events that hadn't yet arrived so they could basically take their forecast models um, and compare the model as it is now with the changed climate to um, um, a forecast model without it that that's that that was a fascinating piece of work um, and clearly a lot of a lot of work had gone into it, it appeared in a, a quite an esteemed journal but when I asked to interview um, any of the authors of that uh, of that article I was told no twice I was just told by the Bureau that they were not able to, I think the words were, facilitate that today. Um, now, sort of what, what effect does that have on your reporting? Well, I mean, I still wrote the story, but, but you know, you, you, you want to be able to interrogate how uh, the methodology behind something like that. You want to know um, kind of what, what the implications of it might be. Um, uh, and you want to kind of communicate that to your readers um, and, we couldn't do that. I mean, I, I I managed to write a story. I went, I got at it from a different angle. But I think broadly, um, the bureau holds it holds the nation's sort of climate heartbeat, and and has done for a long time. Uh, and when you can't sort of speak to the researchers and the, and the scientists in the bureau to hear from them on how things have changed and what their modelling tells us is coming. Um, I think that's that 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 actually uh, can have uh, quite a wide has quite wide implications for how the Australian public um, perceives the threats of climate change and just how bad it is. I mean, what one one former CEO, uh, Rob Battesi, told me in an interview last week that uh, uh, a story on um, a few days after that, uh, he he said that you know, the Australian public probably doesn't really realise just how bad things are, and part of that is because of this sort of muted response from the Bureau and, and other government agencies too. Yeah, I think it's important to, to point out that I, I don't think it's the scientists that are, are not wanting to speak to us and not wanting to talk about climate change and not wanting to get these points across. You know, they're experts in this field. They're doing this work. They know what's happening. And if, if, you, if you do get that direct line, the conversation that comes from that is, is, is expert and it, and it is wonderful for our readers and, and wonderful as a journalist but the fact is that you're being made to jump hoops and then at the end of like Graham said not actually getting the opportunity to speak to those scientists in the first place so what you end up with is is a written statement and in, you know there's a time and a place for a written statement but when you're talking about something that that is like politically you know like it's something as, as important and charged as climate change like we, you need to speak to somebody who's doing the research about this. Being pointed to to a statement on a, on a website 
is not is not beneficial for your readers and it's, it's certainly not beneficial for, for you trying to do your job. It's interesting when you look at, at what some of the other national weather agencies in different countries, how they how they deal with with climate change. I mean, I, re- I remember looking at the um, the the UK's Met Office when they had those crazy heat waves earlier this year. The 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 officers at the at the Met Office were were very front foot on on um, communicating the role that climate change had played in this. Um, it's the same in the United States at, at NOAA. Um, and I, and I, I spoke to um, a, a, a recently resigned staff member at the Bureau who said that they kind of look upon those agencies with envy, that they appear to be able to just speak to the science, speak to what they know without this kind of political lens over the top of it all the time. Um, it, just because climate change has become politicized it doesn't mean that the science is any less legitimate or that we should hear less about it um and and i think that that's a that's a really um i can see how it's a difficult line to walk for some agencies but um i think that the environment that's been generated around climate change through sort of nearly a decade of of coalition government um has has done quite a lot of damage and I mean, you mentioned there the the influence of having a coalition rule for like a decade. We know that that has had an influence for climate change being a, a heavily contested issue. With Labor winning um, and the huge wave of teals coming into our parliament, is what we are seeing just um, an inertia in our institutions? In short, are they catching up with this fundamental change in our politics? Um, Alex, I'll go to you. Look, I hope so. I think there's already been a change of language with Tanya Plibersek as environmental minister. She she is coming out and saying this is an effect of climate change much more frequently and regularly than we have heard in the past. I'm I'm very lucky here in the ACT. When I go to a media conference, uh, we, we have the Greens standing up um, quite often, late standing up quite often, and and there is no hiding the fact that they they believe. And I'm, I'm going to speak to environment ministers here. It's not. They're not shying away from the fact that climate change is an effect of many, many issues that we're talking about. And so here, here I've been lucky not to have been silenced reporting on local issues, not to have had that um, the coalition government sort of, yeah, not to have not to have effect, been affected here in the ACT. And I, I think it it has already shifted in in language federally as well. Yeah, so the the, langu- the language definitely has shifted, and yeah, I think that's a it's a good word um inertia um it, it it almost feels like the 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 climate election didn't happen <laughs> um as, as far as the how from what i see the the bureau of meteorology's response and just to sort of back in what alex has said i and there's i i don't see any suggestion that scientists are not would not be really happy to talk to journalists and talk to the public about what they're finding um, I, I think the issue just with the Bureau has been the, this kind of really quite rigid gatekeeping. And yeah, I would definitely back in what Alex has said there. You're listening to Fourth Estate on the Community Radio Network. This week, we're talking about the media reportage of the climate crisis and the media's relationship with public institutions. I'm joined by Guardian Australia's Graham Redfern, 
and the Canberra Times' Alex Crow. So then why do you think we have this level of cautiousness still? I mean, we've had the conversation around climate change changing in recent years. Why is there still this level of cautiousness to speak with the media about it um, by public institutions or by agencies like universities broadly? I think our public institutions are still catching up with the rest of, of the sentiment in Australia because once upon a time people were, you know, denying that climate change was happening and they were and, and these loud, angry people still exist. And there's still this fear that you're going to get these important people offside and, and lose their vote and, and lose their confidence by by scaring them. I, I think also there there's a hesitancy that the you know dire warnings get old and get 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 boring when it comes to universities and they're, they're talking about their research that they're, they're worried that you know the same messages is getting lost if they continue to repeat it so but in terms of our public institutions yeah I think it's more about realizing that the Australian people now recognize that climate change is fundamentally affecting their life and it's okay to say that it's and it's and they and they want to hear that and we're not stupid and 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 people are ready to to know what are you doing about it the way that public institutions have en has engaged with it, obviously, is is like when you've got government agencies, for example. I think I think probably they they have been um, they feel badly burned. Um, what when I when I interviewed the one of the former CEOs of the bureau, um, uh, he he said to me, this was a guy called Rob Vitesi. Um, he said that. Um, no minister had ever said to him to behave in a particular way or tone things down on climate change. But he said that you get these signals that like back channel signals um, that there are certain things that you shouldn't say and certain steps that you shouldn't take. And there's this understanding. And from a leadership perspective, he said that, that as consequences, if you get it wrong, um, uh, you, you might be sidelined um for uh consultations you might get overlooked for budget requests obviously the leaders of these agencies have this very difficult uh line to walk across but i think with a with, with a with a science-based agency i think that that it's um to be um underplaying what the science is telling you is is uh, I, I want to say unforgivable. It's forgivable, but it, but it, it's got um, it, it has real knock-on implications. Um, and uh, who knows what some of the statements of the bureau would be like if there was a different internal atmosphere uh, around around climate change? Um, you know, there are there are leaders in these agencies that make decisions on on how they want to engage with climate change. Um, and as Alex said, I think for some uh, that it, it's just not caught caught up with reality, um, and that's that's a real shame. Um, we can only hope that 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 changes. But like I, I've been reporting on climate for a long time, uh, and it, it is it's been uh, it it's politically um, and socially divisive, and I think some of the, the that division has been spread deliberately that's difficult for people working in the public service to to engage with but um the science is the science and i think that you can separate the political noise from the scientific realities
I'd like to think we're going to see more of that. And then what are some of the practical ways that you can get over those roadblocks if the institutions that you want to talk with are a bit cautious to speak with journalists? How do you how do journalists go about doing their jobs when they have those roadblocks set up in front of them? Alex, I'll go to you. I think making sure that you have a wide range of sources and contacts to go to and you understand um, what might be some of the agendas of different people working for different groups and and know what you're going to people for yeah, and, and what you're likely to get from them if it, if it is roadblocks or if it is an agenda that they're pushing and, and being able to make that very clear in your reporting. Um, this person works for these people. This person is a you know doing research that is sponsored by this, um, and 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 also I think if you've got you know if you've got something worthwhile that people want to respond to, even if they if there's a, a roadblock, then letting them know. Look, otherwise we're going to publish this, and 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 please I, I want to give you guys a chance to to give me the science or give me the your expert opinion or or, or what this means. Yeah, and I think if you like. I know we're talking a lot about the bureau, but um, like if 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 you know your round and you know your way around the bureau's website, um, uh, you know a, a lot of the historical data on on climate is available if you know where to find it. Um, and and there's a lot of um, uh, climate researchers that that use a lot of the bureau's data. They're well across it. You, you know what I've done quite a quite a few times is if you can't speak to somebody at the bureau then you you speak to an, another say another climatologist um that is uh that that works with the bureau's data um to speak ab about what they're finding um it, it's not ideal um because you want to be as close to the source as you can with the people that you talk to um uh, but if you can't do that, then you need to find the next best solution. Um, and so it's it's about knowing your round, I think, and knowing who who are the genuine experts here uh, who are working on this day to day, who know their way around the data, um, and th that's how you do it. It's it's a it's a bit more time consuming, but yeah, for a story like climate, it's, it's important we do that. Now the recent CSIRO debacle over fracking highlights a problem that may be harder to budge than one about our institutions and how they do comms. How do we stop business interests hijacking the independence of our institutions? Yeah, that, that's that's an interesting one. I, I, I covered this in, my, in a column that I write a few weeks ago. Um, if, if, and if people aren't familiar with it, that the... the um, CSIRO has a uh, um, an industry, a, a gas industry uh, project called Ysera. Um, Don't ask me to remember what that stands for. Uh, they had produced some fact sheets about fracking and the risks around fracking. And uh, one of those fact sheets said that methane may cause uh, climate change, which is a bit like saying alcohol uh, may get you drunk. There is no evidence that any any nasty gas industry executive kind of rolled over the top of it and made them change the words or anything. But the, the problem that this creates is that it, it was such an obvious error 
that the public is aware that Syro, um, it's part of its it, its operating model is to go into partnerships with industry. And if they think that there's industry money involved, then you can see how that would erode public trust in the things that Syro are telling you. Um, and 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 I is is that an is that unfair? I don't know, but it it's certainly that that's the perception. And that and that then does become really problematic. Sora is a big organization, you know, they do a lot more than they have a lot more projects than Gisera, but um you can see how if those relationships with industry are not really well managed, that the public trust in 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 those broader agencies could erode pretty quickly. Yeah, I know The Guardian's done quite a lot of reporting on this recently, Graham, the, a, a wider problem of, I guess, the commercialization of, of, of CSIRO and, and where that leads them is our National Science Institute. If, if making money and it leads to the scrapping of, of important projects, which again has been reported recently by The Guardian with um, climate, the climate forecasting program and, and how do we re yeah, rely on our, our National Science Institute when, when a, a commercialization and, and making money becomes an important outcome. The, the recent media coverage that we've had of various public institutions, Bureau of Meteorology, CSIRO, and just this broader issue, does this erode the trust that the public and the media have of these organisations? I think it's only natural when when uh, members of the public hear that there's a, a financial interest or a, a, a corporate interest in in something that that that's that's going to erode people's trust i think that's that's inevitable i i think that from a journalistic point of view though not well no though you, you know you've got to be able to um to to put that information in front of your readers and and let them and let them decide but but not always i think as well uh, as journalists you've got you've got to take a view that at, at some point the interest becomes so pervasive that that it's difficult to rely on something if you've got other other pieces of evidence from other sources that conflicts with with a report or with a finding then i, I think what we start to do as journalists is is that we then have to start to report the inner workings of that to allow people to understand how these uh, corporate interests can start to interfere in our understanding of environmental issues. It, it's been the case uh, since since Rachel, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring and, and the DDT scandal in the United States. Um, you, you know, whenever whenever you have uh, scientific findings that that smash up against um, corporate interests you will get interference um it happened with ddt it happened with acid rain um it, it happened with um uh, fire retardants it happened with asbestos it happened with climate change um that makes our job as 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 environment reporters really one really important i think but also re really challenging but i, I think that that we've got to take that on uh, because as well as reporting the environment, the, the realities of, of what's unfolding in our environment and in our climate, we have to give people um, the context and the why um, and the understanding of why is it that they understand things in a certain way. Um, 
and so we, we um all, I, i'm kind of co constantly on guard uh for corporate interference in that sort of in that sort of uh information that we that, that we get given from wherever it comes from yeah i think approaching any source and any information with a, a little bit of distrust is not unhealthy and um but and being able to communicate that to to readers is is absolutely crucial and you know the value of of having journalists that have been in the field for a long time and who've been working on the same issues for the same time because they're able to to find these connections and, and dig a little deeper than what what couldn't look on the surface like a positive change and, a, and a, a progressive policy. On that note, I'd like to thank Graham Redfern from Guardian Australia. Thanks. And Alex Crow from the Canberra Times. Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening to the program. After the recording of this episode, we reached out to the Bureau of Meteorology. They've stated that sustained periods of severe weather conditions have required our team to conduct our communications at a greater than usual cadence. The Bureau responds to thousands of media inquiries each year across television, radio, print and online. To read the full Bureau of Meteorology statement, head to the 2SER website. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. Thanks to our executive producer, Anthony Dockerell. I'm Marlene Even. Thanks for listening.